Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hi, Ashley here. Just another note to let you know that this week's show is also a re-release from last year because my work schedule is a bit nuts at the moment. I just don't have the bandwidth to produce another show for another couple of weeks. This show is the one I did on sex and relationships. And if you're wondering what on earth sex and women in the workplace have to do with one another, I just urge you to keep listening. Um, I got quite a lot of feedback after this show, all of it private, none of it posted publicly on the website or on the Facebook page. But people really seemed to relate to what my guest, Evelyn Rash, was talking about. And just another note, the podcast I mentioned at the beginning of this show has changed its name. It's now called Books and Authors with Carrie Barber. Here's the show. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. This week, a bit of a departure from the usual topics. We're going to talk about sex and relationships. If you're wondering about the connection with the workplace, stay tuned. People come in and they've gone for months without being sexually engaged, all in the name of but I, you don't understand, I have to answer emails when I come home from work. This is critically important. And the kids need me. And then I have a brief to get ready. And I have to leave in the morning by 5 because I have an important meeting at 7. Coming up on The Broad Experience. Evelyn Resch is a midwife, sexuality counsellor, and author of a recent book called Women, Sex, Power, and Pleasure. She practices in Massachusetts. I found out about her through a podcast called Book Talk Radio and quickly went out to buy the book. Lately, as I told her when we met, I've been reading a lot of articles about incredibly busy, successful people. Being a curious sort, these pieces often make me wonder about their love lives. I started off by telling Evelyn about a piece I'd read in Inc. magazine about Tim Ferriss, the author of the best-selling book, The 4-Hour Workweek. I remember getting to the end of that piece and thinking, I wonder if this guy has room in his life for anything as messy as a relationship. I wasn't even thinking about sex, but I was just thinking that the, the article was structured around how every waking minute was about packing something in and being efficient. And I thought, but relationships aren't efficient. You know, they're messy and they and they stretch into parts of your life that you might not expect. So first there was that. And then, of course, I, I read a fair amount by very successful women. And as you say, sometimes their lives just seem to go from five in the morning until midnight. And they are getting on email after dinner, after they've put their kids to bed. And, yeah, I, I also have wondered, like, are they having sex? Probably not. And and the, the interesting thing about reading all of this content about how people utilize their time and women's successes in the workplace is that those successful women never really talk about the state of their marriages, the state of their sexual lives. We never see that incorporated as content in those articles. So 
And we're not likely to either. And we're not likely to. And people who interview these women are not going to ask those questions. We're very afraid of talking about that because chances are the person who's interviewing them, the successful woman that's interviewing them, is living as sexless of a life as the woman she's interviewing. Ouch. Evelyn says many women are so enamored with their professional lives, they're putting their relationships, including sex, on the back burner. She says a lack of intimacy is a huge contributor to the breakdown of marriages. And when a marriage or relationship fails, in most cases, women and children are worse off economically than they were previously. A lot of female clients tell her they love their partners and are still attracted to them. But between all their obligations at work and home, they have no desire for physical intimacy. But they can't make the connection between the busyness that they impose on themselves, often related to their work, and the fallout that it's having on their marriages. And they feel 150% responsible for assuming all of those tasks related to their work, not questioning it. So the hierarchy that ends up being established is the top of the rung is work, then it's children, then it's friends and family. And then at the very bottom of the ladder is their relationship with their partner. Are we mainly talking about women 30s, 40s, 50s with families? I'm just curious if this is really usually always people who have the kids, because obviously that's an, an enormous mm-hmm. you know, part of your life and a huge time suck. Yeah. No, it's interesting because while some people have read my book and said, oh, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a midlife person and I don't have children... It actually applies to all women that I see who have made an effort to advance their careers and who are dedicated to their work because there's absolutely no emphasis culturally on pleasurable living. Pleasurable living only comes in when people take holiday. And for Evelyn, this is key to the problem as she sees it. The fact that most of our day-to-day lives are so rushed and unsensual and we only allow ourselves to unwind on vacation. We'll come back to pleasure in a minute, but also she says the women she sees don't factor a partner's needs into their packed days. Women seem to have developed two primary arterial routes by which they feed their sense of self. Have I had a good enough food and exercise day? And what have I done for other people slash as a worker, as a professional? Part of that what have I done for other people question concerns a woman's children. And what I see women doing over and over again is entirely too much for their children. And their children aren't doing enough for themselves. There is an extraordinary amount of infantilizing that women, professional women, will do on behalf of their children and the the concept of good mothering, excellent mothering, they're not letting children grow up and be as independent as they should be along their developmental life cycle. When Evelyn's daughter was 10, her laundry was getting seriously out of hand. Mounds of clothes were piling up on what seemed like a daily basis. Evelyn told her daughter the washing machine was just as easy to operate as her computer, showed her how to use it, and from that day on, her daughter did her own laundry, except for special occasions when Evelyn would step in. She says this is just one thing that freed up some precious time, which she desperately needed as a health worker working long hours, including nights on call, and as someone who was in a relationship. Her first marriage had founded, and she didn't want the same thing to happen to this one. She's now been married for 20 years. 
I'm, I'm just curious, and now you're making me think historically, do you think that this has changed a great deal, that it must have done simply because women are in such a different place professionally from where they were, say, in the 70s? Do you, do you know that, that there was sort of simply more sex going on 30 years ago, for instance? Or Well, I think that there was... I think that marriages were more sexually engaged, more sexually active. Whether or not the terms of that engagement was ideal is another story. But what's interesting is that we've made the assumption that because women who are generally feminist thinkers in many ways are, of course, having the kind of sex that they want, more on their terms, more sexual self-advocacy, and that this must be an outcome or an outcropping of having a feminist perspective. The fact is that it's not, and there's more and more discussion about the new sexless marriages where instead of having your partner in your bed, you have your dogs and your children and your partner is sleeping elsewhere. And interestingly, if you look at some of the research on marriages and sexuality, the women who tend to have the most satisfying active sexual lives are women that tend to lead more conservative lives as married women and as people as part of the population. So evangelical Christians, more conservative thinkers, uh, these are women that tend to have more sexually active marriages because they see this as a covenant and as, an, and as a tenet of good marriage, being sexually engaged. Now, whether or not marriage is on their terms is another, st- I mean, I'm sorry, sexuality is on their terms or not, I'm not completely sure. They may not be completely sure. But the fact is that the more liberal-thinking, well-educated, scholarly, professional women who are in marriages are not having sex in large part. And they see sexuality within the context of that relationship as an obligation, a chore, one more thing to do on their to-do, to-do list, and actually an imposition that's, uh, that's brought into the marriage by unthinking, uncaring, demanding men. And that's not what I see in my practice. I don't see unthinking, uncaring, demanding men. I actually see men being extraordinarily tolerant of sexless marriages to a point where sex becomes somewhat extinct. If this is making your blood boil, if it sounds too retro, like women should be pleasing their partners at the expense of everything else, Evelyn comes at this from the perspective of someone who sees a lot of relationships in crisis. I asked her to talk about men for a minute. Presumably men aren't also flocking to her office saying their schedules have robbed them of desire. You know, men's brains are different than women's brains. The area of the human brain that is responsible for sexual desire and activity and engagement is two and a half times larger in men's brains than it is in women's. And their brains are shaped by testosterone, not estrogen. And this biological advantage often allows them to put sexuality and pleasure on the top of that to-do list as the number one thing that they need to engage in. And it's the way that men express their attachment and their sense of loyalty to women. Women express their attachment and sense of loyalty not through sexual engagement, but through, um, through the business of doing. Doing for the household, doing for the family, doing for their children, doing for their in-laws. And this is a, an incredible disparity 
in heterosexual couples. And women become extremely angry about it, very, very blaming. Men who deeply love the women they're with will be more apt to recoil when it comes to criticism about their, their sexual appetite because the risk factors of doing otherwise are too high. And so people come in and they've gone for months without being sexually engaged, all in the name of, but I, you don't understand, I have to answer emails when I come home from work. This is critically important. And the kids need me. And then I have a brief to get ready. And I have to leave in the morning by 5 because I have an important meeting at 7. And it just goes on and on and on. And as women's roles have changed socially, I don't think men's roles in terms of the changing has kept up. And part of the fallout is what's happening in bed or actually what isn't. The answer, she says, isn't necessarily to jack in your job and throw on an apron or something more revealing. But she does believe women with busy jobs who are in relationships have to make some adjustments. First, she's a big advocate of getting spouses and children to do more at home. But she says women can't impose what she calls our cult of perfection on them if those home-related tasks aren't done our way. Several top women professionals I've interviewed recently have said the same thing. They've all emphasised that to have a saner life, women have to give up a certain amount of control. And a lot of us find that really hard. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. But Evelyn's biggest piece of advice for women who want to maintain a relationship that's fraying because of a lack of sex is to make a conscious effort to embroider pleasure into their lives and not just the big stuff. Say you really enjoy coffee. Evelyn says to get the most pleasure out of that experience, you need to sit down in the morning savouring that cup of coffee without multitasking. She says American culture is so fast, so efficiency-oriented, that unlike many other cultures, it doesn't give pleasure a look-in. When people say to me, well, how do I start this? Well, the first thing I say to them is, I want you to make a list of all the things you can think of, all of them, that you find pleasurable, that are enjoyable. Having a pedicure, um, reading a novel, uh, having time to read the newspaper without interruption, um, watching a stupid program on television, whatever it is, it could be anything. And then I say to them, use that list for reference and ask yourself, what out of this list can I actually do throughout the day so that my life has continual, regular interludes of pleasure that keep me alive and alert 
and familiar with the concept in its entirety. Because my contention is that if you truly enjoy that cup of coffee in the morning, that the leap into having wonderful sexual intimacy will not be so complicated and difficult. What happens is if you start with coffee in the morning while you're driving in a paper cup and you're texting and driving or you're having a conference call in your car, you don't even realize that you've had the coffee at all. And then expecting people to be able to move into a place of such depth of pleasure as sexuality is like asking them to take a rocket ship to another galaxy. They're so estranged from pleasure in its entirety, in its simplest forms, because sex is not that complicated, but people have to lend themselves to it in the first place, and they don't when they're very estranged from pleasure. She says ever-present technology is a big part of our alienation from the good life, and women are hardly the only ones who lavish attention on their devices at the expense of other people. I asked her to tell the story of one couple I'd read about in her book. That was a tragic example. The gentleman who actually placed, managed to place his BlackBerry underneath the, the mattress at the level of the head of his bed so that when he was having intercourse, he could continue to check his messages and ask me what happened to that marriage. What? Well, it, it completely fell to pieces. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, this woman was saying to me, I've tried everything, and this was the ultimate insult. And I thought, yeah, I, I bet it was, and it, 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 and it should be. You know, it's interesting. My contention always is that one of the strongest aphrodisiacs is undivided attention. And that's in very short order in our culture. We're constantly doing several things at the same time. It is not sexy. It's just not. But she says many clients resist making these adjustments because they're so accustomed to a nonstop pace. She believes they do so at their peril. The battle that many of us are waging right now is how do we sustain complicated relationships? And you're right, relationships are very messy. They demand an enormous amount of time and energy and effort. I personally think they're worth it. And I hear from women that they feel the same. They're worth it. And then I say to them, well, if you continue to lead your life the way you are, you will continue to have a sexless marriage or a sexless partnership. You cannot possibly have both. You see, this is, this is one of the examples of you can't have it all. Yes, you cannot have it all. And my feeling is that, that what, we, what we do have within our power is to make choices about when we are going to have what. Not that we must have it all simultaneously throughout the course of our lives, but we have the ability, we have the capacity always to make a choice. And, you know, women will say to me, but the work world has changed so much. You don't understand. My boss demands that I do X, Y, and Z. And I say, well, perhaps the demand is coming from, you, from your willingness to meet it. And I, I do see this. I mean, I do see people succumbing and saying, okay, yeah, of course I'll have this, or okay, of course I'll do this. And, and I actually don't think that the demand is as great. I think that part of what's happening is that in order to feed that arterial root of have I done enough to be worthy of an indulgence, 
or a reward, which is how women see pleasure as an indulgence or, or a reward, they're agreeing to doing more and more and more for their children, for their bosses, which somebody's got to get less. And the person who gets less is their mate. That's who gets less. And, you know, when I talk with women about their children and I hear things like, well, I mean, he's only 10 years old. He can't possibly make his lunch. Well, hold on a second here. You've got him in an advanced placement math class. He manages to do extraordinary programs on his computer system, but he does not have the cognitive capacity or the executive thinking to make a lunch in a paper bag. Does this make sense? Not really. But it's very hard for women to believe this. But also what you say about us women seeing pleasure as, as a reward. Yes. So this, I think, is a really big problem with women is that we feel that we don't deserve things. You know, we our sort of set point is we have to earn everything and we don't just deserve things. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think our set point is that we have to earn it. And once we do earn it, we can we can look to pleasure as a reward or an indulgence. And my feeling is that this is a very dangerous model to perpetuate and that what we need to do instead is look at pleasure as good medicine, as having, as having vitamin quality to it in terms of keeping us strong and well and keeping our relationships with the people that we love most strong and healthy. Pleasure is medicinal. It's not an indulgence or, re- or just a reward. It is medicinal. It's something we must do. It has an impact on the vagal nerve. It has an impact on our blood pressure. It has an impact on our mood. And all of these foster health. Without which, she says, we have nothing. Part of this is absolutely forcing us. I mean, to, to be able to hold this concept, this paradigm that I put forth, demands that you seriously reflect and, and, and analyze and, in fact, dissect your concept of what is success. What is success? And, and that should mean more than what we see it meaning in the United States, which, generally speaking, is affluence. Success and affluence are very synonymous. And what I'm saying to people is, you know, At the end of the day, your money will not necessarily save you from bad health or a rotten marriage. It's not your money. It's your authenticity. So for me, success is a complicated thing. I continue to let it evolve in my life. I continue to to destruct it and reconstruct it and dissect it and pull it apart. And it's, it means a very different thing to me now at 54 than it did to me when I was 40. Evelyn Rash. Her book is Women, Sex, Power and Pleasure. That's The Broad Experience for this time. You can comment on this episode at thebroadexperience.com or on the show's Facebook page. The Broad Experience is supported by the Mule Radio Syndicate, which you can visit at muleradio.net. One of their other great podcasts is Everything Sounds. The show explores the role sound plays in art, science and culture with a new sound-rich story every week.
If you like what you hear on this show, please consider kicking in a few bucks to support what I'm doing. You can do that at the support tab at thebroadexperience.com. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening.